The Recruitment Mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Nathan Darnell, who is the founder of Source Control, who are an expert tech recruitment business specializing in distributed systems. Uh, and this business he launched in January this year. Before that, Nathan successfully climbed the ranks to associate director and along the way won multiple awards like Top Biller and Consultant of the Year Awards back-to-back -back in 2018 and 2019 at his previous company um, that he worked for, Oakwell Hampton. Uh, and now Nathan has big goals, big plans to grow his own recruitment business with Source Control. Nathan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. A lovely introduction. Yes, I'm excited to, to go over this with you. So obviously we're going to talk about recent times, you being a business owner, but we're going to have a real good conversation on you being a biller, getting that top biller award and these types of things. But the first question I want to ask you and where we start is, in your opinion, what, what characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought quite a lot about this question and it, it's hard to kind of stay away, I suppose, from the cliches that you'd normally hear in terms of kind of determination, resilience, goal-orientated, self-belief. But I think to be successful, it comes down to, or one of the main factors is, is kind of a, a large dose of individuality. Um, mm. I think every, everyone can bring various different kind of strengths to the table and it's knowing how to leverage those strengths to kind of your advantage. I mean, some people I've seen in the past be, you know, fantastic at writing the, the perfect ED email um, and we quit the phones. But I think it's, it's kind of a combination of playing to your strengths, but doing the other stuff anyway. You know, it's like mm. uh, it's spinning those plates and, and, and being kind of, you know, um, having the awareness to know that brilliant. You look, this is my, my main tactic, for example. But, you know, I'm also going to do the other things that I need to do to make sure I'm being successful, which could be the, you know, the cold call and the BD and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So that, that would be the kind of my, my key takeaway. Um, obviously, those other buzzwords I mentioned are equally as important, the resilience side, because, you know, there's massive good days and, and, and awful bad days, determination, kind of setting the goals, knowing what you want to achieve and, and going out there to try and achieve those goals. Um, and, and yeah, just belief in yourself that, you know, that, you know, you can do it. The, the glass ceiling is, is what you make it, I suppose. And, 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 you know, it's most certainly easy to smash through it if you've got the right, um, you know, the right kind of set of beliefs behind you i love that individuality is that obviously i think another word that a lot of people use is authentic right and i know it's like you spoke about in an interesting way but i guess how do you think people can uncover their individuality because i think that's interesting 
I, I think it's, it, again, there's probably no right or wrong answer for that. It, it really comes down to yourself and, and what, what you're good and strong at. And it, it's mm. you know, normally a kind of, a, you know, you have to do it, um, you know, by trial and error sometimes. You just got to, you mm. know, there's, in any business, when, you, you know, when, you, when you're joining a business, when you're starting off in recruitment, whether you've got a couple of years experience or a lot of years experience, you know, it's still always a learning curve. Um, and it's always about kind of, for, for me, variating things and just trying, trying things in different ways, in new ways, and learning what works for you. Because what works for you isn't necessarily going to work for the person sat next to you and vice versa. Um, but it's always good to kind of leverage the advice and, of your peers and be able to try and put that into practice and just work out for yourself, you know, is, is that what I'm good at, what I'm strong at, um, or is that somewhere potentially I need to do to develop? And, you know, most importantly as well alongside that, it's being coachable. It's leaning probably on the advice of your peers because, you know, they'll be able to identify and potentially spot, you know, strengths and weaknesses within you um, that, you know, you can potentially improve on. Yeah, I, I love that. And I guess what you're also talking about there is self-awareness, right? Yeah. Like, would you, if you think sort of Nathan early on in his career, and I love that you also mentioned there around always being open to learn. Like, I think anyone listening to this definitely has that mindset. And I think it's the mindset that most top builders will share. Um, besides the ones that obviously have a huge ego and think they've completed recruitment (laughs) but i definitely think there's a lot less of those people in my opinion but i don't know i'm just curious as we're here and then we'll go into other things but like do you how do you feel like have you always been someone that's been self-aware how have you cultivated your self-awareness uh, no, absolutely, absolutely not um you know it was i've had to yeah. i've had to learn through mistakes and um you know for, for me personally um yeah i kind of i understood what my purpose what, what i wanted to do and what i wanted to achieve and you know I, i'd always set myself those goals that i wanted to progress to that next level to go from from consultant to senior consultant through and upwards um and you know at certain points throughout my career in all honesty you know i had to have difficult conversations with with um, the powers that be and the directors above me in regards to you know even simple things about doing the basics attitude mm. um just just those general things you know around that and some you know sometimes i've had to i've had to adapt change learn and grow from that um to be able to achieve you know what, what i've wanted to achieve personally because you know without those changes um you know i probably probably wouldn't have been given the opportunities that, that i have done so far I'm not telling people to change themselves fundamentally because, as I say, that comes plays back into the individuality. Um, but it's more about how do you, how do you learn and adapt and take on that feedback and grow from that feedback to you know, make yourself a better rounded um, individual, not just as a recruiter, but you know somebody that's in the office as well. Because as you move up in the ranks, you know, so so do people lean to you for more advice and 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 look at you as a bit more of a role model within a business. So it's really important, as I say, that, you know, you, you take take that on board and, and, and kind of run with it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So 2014 then yep. entered the uh, recruitment world. Similar background. So it looks like you as a life insurance broker. I yep. was a personal lines insurance broker, so selling people uh, car insurance and all that good stuff. So Tell us about obviously that the world that I came from. I don't know what it was like for you. Maybe a bit different than life insurance, but like it was, it was super transactional. Like the world yeah. that I was coming in, I wanted to expand my sales skills and, and get get in a more of a consultant position and deal with bigger um, deal values and things like that. But describe to us your your first year in recruitment. What what was that like? How would you describe yeah. that? It was a bit of a baptism of fire. 
um, in fairness, um, a, a big learning curve. As you've kind of mentioned there, um, in insurance sales and such, and many many sales jobs, it's very transactional. It's very kind of process driven. So you know, you follow it to a process, and hopefully, at the end of that process, you get someone's bank details and, and you're happy. Whereas, <laughs> yeah. When you're, uh, you know, when coming into recruitment, there was just so much, so much more um, to take into consideration because, you know, you're no longer selling a product that either works or it doesn't. You know, you, you're dealing with people, and you know, they're one of the most volatile commodities out there because everyone's got their own opinions. They've got, you know, their, their their own their own kind of key indicators that they need to tick off and stuff like that. So it was more for me, kind of a big adjustment in learning the psychology. Around uh, mm. around kind of around recruitment first and foremost, but also you know trying to get a better understand people and people's needs. And you know, as I say, it's until you until you know what somebody needs, it's really hard to sell against that. Yeah, and what what was the environment that you went into? Was it a small business or? Yeah, yeah, there was small to small to medium um, kind of business. Um, I reckon there's probably about thirty of us at the peak. Uh, it was quite. It was it was a, probably um, a bit of a diverse kind of recruitment culture. So we had a couple of different revenue streams. So it wasn't just technology orientated. So I was part of the technology team, but we also had white collar and blue collar engineering oh, nice. and, and apprenticeship programs as well. But uh, it was still one big team, albeit obviously working in different kind of revenue streams. So I guess looking back, I guess just two things. I just want to know from you, what was your sort of biggest challenge in in the sort of, it doesn't have to be specifically the first year, but early on in that first company that you worked for. Um, And then um, I want to know sort of what your best sort of piece of advice would be for anyone listening to this that's early on in their recruitment career. So let, let's go to the challenges first. Like, I guess what, so you mentioned a bit about there, what you had to adapt to the psychology and things like that, yep. but any other challenges and obstacles that you had to work through early uh, on? It, it was just for, for me, probably coming into, it was, it was a bit of a stark difference in terms of the level of professionalism um, that was required. Mm. You know, I'd been in, in sales environments where, you know, things got pretty wild at times and, uh, you know, um, it was, it was kind of high risk, high reward type environments and such like that. But, um, coming into, into recruitment for, for me, the big culture shock and the big challenge was, was kind of changing certain kind of areas of myself and, and my sales process and my behaviors and such to, to kind of modify and, and, and fit into this recruitment environment. And how, I mean, I, I, I really had to do the same and I, um, I went into, I just really got into like my sales basically. Like I don't, how, how did you, obviously I'm assuming that you sort of spoke to people around you and your peers, but like, how did you go about upskilling yourself besides learning on the job? Yeah, it was, again, I, I was lucky to have, um, some close friends that were in recruitment that actually gave me the okay. kind of. The, the nudge and, and the the insight and basically you know, one of one of my one of my best friends called me up and he was living down in Bristol at the time um, working for Opus Recruitment and uh, you know he'd got probably so like, the dream yeah he did he did he just called me up and it was pretty pretty quick easy to sell me the dream he just said you know this is this is a job that you probably meant to do mate so uh, definitely you know definitely really yeah uh, and then. <laughs> The, ne- the next week I had five interviews and uh, yeah, I just kind of committed to that. So um, for me, it was probably a pivotal change from where I was looking from, you know, just the general sales jobs that I've been a part of previously and now looking to where can I make a career? Where can I grow something long term mm. and really, really expand on that? Because, I mean, I was only 23, 24 coming into recruitment. Um, that's late by some people's standards, um, you know, when, when, you've, when you've got graduates and such like that. So, you know, I knew that that, that next move for me 
was something that I was going to stick to and something I was going to dedicate myself to because, you know, the last thing I wanted to be doing is, you know, a couple of years in and being back on the drawing board and thinking, okay, that didn't work out for me. What's next? What's next? Yeah. So I guess to, to round, round that off then, like anyone listening, like if you could go back and speak to Nathan early on, like what, what advice would you give him? Do you think? Yeah, I, I would probably just tell him to um, believe in the trust in the process and follow the mm. process um you know it's it's really easy to to hear things sometimes but not listen um and, and kind of make assumptions and hear probably what you want to hear and uh, or maybe kind of you know glaze over the things you don't want to hear because simply you, you know it, it adds that's a little bit concerning to something but um just just to be really thorough um you know it, it, throughout the whole throughout the whole kind of process from the candidate management to the client management and everything in between because it's so easy for something to slip through the gaps and for you to to miss something that's going to come back to bite you later um and second that probably the best advice i could give myself would be not to spend the commission until i receive it um, just because, <laughs> because yeah you're always living kind of a couple of paychecks in advance going around i'm gonna have a big month and uh, yeah that can come back to bite you if you've not been thorough and obviously something something adverse has happened as a result yeah and and on on that and and then we'll sort of start talking about sort of overall your sort of billing career as as an employee but like just on that, because we hear this a lot on here, like trust the process, don't let things slip through the gap. Obviously, you, you've been in a leadership capacity in your um, obviously the, the last company you worked for leading a team. Where do you think and, and I guess just, you can draw on any part of your journey, really. But where do you think sort of recruiters maybe early on in their career can sometimes let things slip, you think, throughout the process out of interest, just to go a bit more deeper and practical on that? Yeah, it's just the just the attention to the, the, the finer parts of the detail. You know, um, I think most businesses, every business, at least I've been a part of, you know, have a certain way of doing things um, in yeah. terms of from candidate registration um, through to client, you know, kind of taking a job order and, every, and everything in there in between. So it's just making sure that you are 100% fuller on that. You know, you're, you're not just taking necessarily people first answers um you know you're, you're exploring that in a little bit more detail i mean something some things that would bite me back in you know back way back when would be you know somebody would say look i'm happy to relocate and i'd be like brilliant relocate i'm gonna send you this <laughs> job because you're gonna relocate Not a candidate uh, relocation yeah, 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 yeah. exactly but then it's it's going that's you know that next line of questioning okay so what's the practicalities behind that what's your lease agreement like where have you got a family have you got children do you have to take them out of school do you have to do this and it's just understanding you know the reality behind the dream i suppose because sometimes it's like this guy looks amazing he's amazing he's going to send him he's going to get the job and again it's because i probably didn't want to know that level of detail because you know in my head i just thought it was you know they, they, they were good enough for it yeah yeah no interesting so look let, let's just talk about your sort of uh yeah billing career as a whole um before you started your own business um i guess look as i said to you before we started this most recruiters that we speak to um, and when we try and find out from them sort of where they are today and where they want to go when we um, when they join the the community, most people will say and put down that they want to be the top biller, right? Um, and as I mentioned in this introduction, um, you managed to hold that title sort of back-to-back when you was at Oakwell Hampton in 2018-2019, right? So I think, look, fair to say recruitment's um, a really competitive environment internally as well as externally. 
So let, let's try and unpack that and there'll be different things that we can go into. But I guess my first question for you really is obviously loads of competition internally. Like why, why do you think you was able to achieve that within that business? Do you think, what did you do I, I, differently? I think there was a couple, a couple of different kind of reasons. I mean, just being completely frank and honest, um, you know, my, my performance whilst I was in my first two companies, it started off strong. It probably plateaued a little bit, um, probably got a little bit complacent. And then it was coming into my last role, really, where things started accelerating. There's a couple of different reasons as to that. It's a couple of subtle changes probably I made in terms of my own process um, to, to kind of help escalate that. But, you know, I just knew. I, I, I was probably more focused than I'd ever been in knowing what I wanted to achieve and breaking that down into into chunks of okay, this is what I need to do, and this is this is you know where I need to be by by this date and so on and so forth. So I kind of worked backwards from my end goal, um, but tried to stick to that as rigidly as possible, I suppose. Um, but yeah, a, a kind of a big a big change and pivot for me was um, in the way that I try to attract candidates. Okay. So, Historically, I mean, you know, I, I was doing probably, you know, 120, 130k a push, um, you know, in in a market that I'd been in for quite a while, um, and I was really, really relying on the tools that I was provided. So I was relying on the job boards. I was relying on, um, yeah, pretty much the job boards. <laughs> was just, really? um, yeah, yeah, and just really kind of, um, you know, looking there and and. and to be fair, the amount of offers I had versus the amount of business that actually stuck um, was ridiculous. You know, I was missing out on on ninety k in a year of offers that that didn't end up landing. Um, oh, wow. And I, I suppose just to give a bit of background on the on the just a quick snip of the journey, we we went uh, went did the um, did a recruitment out in America for a while. And that we didn't have the same tools we had available when we when I was working in in, in a London market that I was familiar with. So um, I had to to really kind of develop new methods of reaching candidates, a lot more kind of headhunting, um, calling people in the office, using reliant, more heavily reliant on LinkedIn. So when I came back to to, to the UK right. to, to kind of pick up where I'd left off, I can now came back to that market with a new set of skills. Um, mm. And that just or immediately that 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 small pivot, and small change in in the way that I went about my business made a massive, massive impact because it meant that those offers that I was generating still were sticking because the candidates that I was finding, um, you know, had been purposefully headhunted rather than being the best available at that time. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that. Appreciate you filling us in there on the context. So just to add to that, how long was you in America for? So it was it was only six months. Um, so yeah. I, I didn't actually get chance to, to move out there because I was uh, pending marriage with my wife at the time, um, and yeah, unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't physically on the ground, but I was working remotely, and I did go and spend some time in our LA office as well. Nice. So, so basically, what what you're sharing with us then is that yeah, like you really added the sort of um, added a lot more tools to your to your toolbox in terms of the way of doing things. So I really appreciate the. The honesty in that. So let, let's just break that down a bit. So when you say headhunting and calling people in the office, I get that. Um, like, just talk to us a bit about like what that actually looks like and why why is that then ended up working for you? Is it because you're literally directly calling people and going, hey, I'm currently working with an organization that has actually told me that they want 
you in their business like I don't know just talk to us a bit about that actual approach yeah so uh, it's less probably cloak and dagger um you know I, I think when I was when I was trained on how to do that or at least when people told me it was always the carrot and the stick type situation so it was always go in there and, and make them feel kind of you know that they've been individually you know selected by selected, the, yeah. by, by the employer um but that's that's not the that's not the case so I've always gone down like, well in with an honesty approach when it comes to it comes to headhunting but um it's more for me been about mapping mapping out businesses because what i re- what i realized as well is a keyword search and a boolean search is fantastic it's going to give you all these great developers and stuff to look at but naturally you know if they're coming up in your search they're coming up in everyone else's search so it was mm. more it was more understanding okay brilliant so if this guy's working at this company with this this skill set then sure enough there's going to be more people in that company because some people when you're trying to identify them on linkedin their presence is very minimal states of employment they may not you know even have you know any key keywords or anything like that but they're still probably equally as good if not potentially better than the people that are coming in up in your search that do have a more profound and flushed out LinkedIn profile or presence online um, so it was more about kind of mapping companies and understanding where the the hotspot hotspots were for the skills that I was looking for um, and then as I say making those introductions um, quite directly on the phone um, my process has always been um, to achieve a little um, but a lot of times if that makes sense yeah um, so not to go into a headhunting call with the objection of, of of winning a candidate over and selling them the dream on that call going going into that call with a simpler objective of getting a mobile number from them to give them a call back after work when it's more convenient nice that, that yeah so switch the objective that's interesting because i guess you're you're more motivated to make those calls because it's not a failure if you don't get a yes on and talk to you about that job it's just more of talk, yeah. would you would you mind give it give us um would you mind just talking a bit because i know people love this sort of stuff yep would you mind just sharing a bit around like the script yeah so, hey. <laughs> what's like the open what's like the opener basically if you call me i'm sitting at my desk i'm someone that you know at some point there's a good chance that there'll be jobs that i might be open to i've got the right skill set like you catch me at work, obviously it's a completely different environment now. So it'd be good to get your thoughts on how this has changed. But if I'm in the office and you get my number, you call me directly. What, what's that? What's the open it? What's the open it? Yeah. I, I mean, firstly, hopefully you'll be able to hear me because I, I try and just do as quick an elevator pitch as possible. So, um, because I, I'm very conscious that when you go for, when you land on that desk phone, they might be sent next to the CTO. You might be interrupting a scrum meeting, you know, anything. They could you don't know what's going on around you. So I try and encourage them to speak as little as possible. So my two objectives are them to say probably to speak twice on the call. Um, the wow. first time is to acknowledge that that's them who I'm speaking to, to make sure I'm I'm not pitching their boss. Um, and the second, uh, the second objective is is to agree for a callback and and hopefully get an, a con- an alternative contact number from them if I am calling them on the desk line or, or or what have you. So my normal introductions that would be quick, uh, just a very quick introduction to myself. So it'd be hi, you know, I'm Nathan Donnell. I'm giving you a call from Source Control. Um, straight away, um, it, you know, is, is, so sorry, I apologise. It was firstly asking if that sh- I'd say hi. Is that James? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, sure. James. Yeah, hi, it's Nathan Donnell. I'm giving you a call from Source Control, and then straight into the micro pitch, which is just look, look. Um, the reason I'm giving you a call today, I'm a specialist technical headhunter. I specialize in this area. Very, very quick glazing over that, but then bring it straight back to a personalization about them, because you know, if I'm going in there cold with no information, then they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna detect that straight away. So it's more identifying because 
Mm. You know, at this point, you've got the LinkedIn profile hopefully in front of them. You can see something about them, and it's picking on a certain unique selling point about them that you can sell back to them to show that you're well researched, to show that you've done your homework and you're genuinely interested in having that conversation. That can range from, oh, brilliant! I can see you've been at X company for five years now. You know, that's really, really impressive. Look, I just wanted to speak to you about this. It could be X. You know, I, I see you working with X, Y, and Z technology. That's that really interests me. A lot of people as well, you'll notice when you're browsing lots and lots of LinkedIn profiles, you know, people like to give information. People like are passionate about what they're doing and they and they will they, you know they'll detail that in their profile. So it might be that they're working with X, Y, and Z technology, but they've they've mentioned, you know, I've got an interest in this. If you've got a position that, that you know will 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 play on that interest, then it's about letting them know about that. But again, it's probably I've diluted it a little bit there in terms of the context, but it, it's a very quick introduction. So as no, I no, said, you did, that was really helpful. Yeah, I think so the, the key there is the personalization bit. And yeah, it, it, it is. It's just it's just making it, but it's also showing empathy as well. So what? So as I say, once I've quickly introduced myself, as soon as they hear technical headhunter. Um, straight away, you know, nerves are probably going to come up. They, you know, yeah. the, the hairs on the back of the neck. They, they're, they're, you know, they're breathing heavier because the CTO, as I say, or whoever's stood near them. Um, you know, straight away diffusing up. Look, I'm really apologised for calling you so directly at work. The reason I'm calling you, and then it's the justification. Back then to the empathy for at the end. Again, I apologise for contacting you directly. However, I would love to have a conversation with you outside of business hours. Look, what's the best way for me to reach you? Simple as yeah, that. Yeah. Is that. Is that the close? Is that the like closer of like just saying, hey? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's just you know, it's basically as I say, that pitch from start to finish, you know, will generally last about thirty seconds. So yeah, nice. you know, they're, they're having to pick up the phone, and hopefully they can walk away from that without you know somebody going, "Oh, who was that?" Because you know they've not had to answer anything. They can just say, "Oh, rubbish office. It was nothing." Because I found if you start trying to ask them and open them up, they straight away close down. So close down. You, yeah, that's a really good yeah, point. You, you, how do you, how'd you get their mobile then? That's it. So, that, so I'll ask them, look, do you have an alternative number I can call you back on? Um, you know, sometimes nine times out of ten or five times out of ten, they'll just give you the number just to get you off the phone. And then you call back at five o'clock and they've got no interest in it whatsoever. But at least you've got that kind <laughs> of, you know, that, that, that channel of communications opened up and, you know, and, and you can start to build on that. Because as I say, with headhunting, it's not an overnight job. Not everyone's going to be looking straight away. Yeah. Um, but the more you do it, the, the, the wider your network gets. And you know those are the really good, the really good, good candidates to have that you can just draw back on, you know, months and months later and think, who did I speak to about that? And then you can go back because you know they're not they're passive candidates at the end of the day. So you know you knock back on that door again. This time you've got the personal number, hopefully, and you're saying, look, I'm just recalling our conversation six months ago. Um, remember you mentioned this. I've got now this opportunity, and hopefully, you know, it goes from there. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you so much for going into. So much detail. And then look, as we're on this, I know we're going into deep diving this, but I know yeah. people like the the real practical things. How how has this approach changed? With yeah, the, well, we've loved like, that. Yeah, like how because obviously I think I'm sure it's changing now. Like a, a real common sort of work dynamic seems like a hybrid approach, but I'm sure there's a lot of people still doing remote. So I don't know how how have you sort of been yeah, flexible with that? It's um it's become a lot more expensive. Um, just in terms of how to kind of aggregate data and, and get the data, because obviously, you know, there's, there's a plethora of tools out there um, available, um, you know, for you, for you to utilize um, on a subscription basis, free basis, whatever, you know, you'd like to um, sales QL, Lushers, um, all of these kind of tools, AI databases, which can scrape and aggregate data. But, the, the, you know, the, the simple fact of the matter is it's tough. 
You know, if they're not at work yeah. and, you know, and you can't get through to them, you've got to go in. You know, you've got to, again, variate your style and try something new. Um, the massive, massive rise that I've seen, a big, big pivotal change um, that I've noticed and that I've had to try and adapt as much as possible as I can do is more about the outbound and email marketing. Um, mm. You know, how to personalize approaches there. And, and as I say, you know, it's not hand on heart it's not my strongest soup i can deliberate over an email for 20 minutes thinking <laughs> is this is this going to hit the mark you know and and, I, and again I've, I've sat next to people that you know within a couple you know two three minutes they've written something amazing that's that's really good and captures the attention um so again it's it's constantly just trying to you know add to your artillery really and trying constantly trying to build and improve but there has been a, a huge seismic shift i would say in terms of how to how you can contact people it it's it's Two ways, though, because at the end of the day, if you can get the contact information to, to you know for them, the chances are they are sat at home, so they can take the call. So it takes away that that awkwardness straight away. So you can yeah, ask more open questions and yeah, well, hopefully. You, you know, no, normally, yes, the conversation will, will will possibly last more than thirty seconds because they might they might go okay, yeah, we we'll to talk about it now, which is brilliant. Yeah, 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 sure, okay, interesting. So obviously what you shared there and why we spoke about that was because before you had that experience in America where you was building things from scratch, you being very honest and saying, look, I, I was billing 120, 130 grand a year. And a lot of the time I was using job boards. Um, that means I was mainly tapping into the job seeker market, which also meant that I'm assuming, yeah, you got more offers, but a lot of these people were obviously getting other offers as well. Right. Um, so what you shared with us is that, you added you added this tool to your toolbox and it had a real impact. Um, I guess let's just let's just tie it all together then. So when you um got the top um biller award, what did you end up billing? And then I want to speak to you about the client side, because that's always something that people wanna um talk about and want to improve. So let's just just to put that into context. Yeah, I mean I, I think in the first year joining the business, um kind of February to December, um it was about 185k um mm. kind of offer offer and accepted. Um we were around about 160 started, which again isn't you know it's not it's not life changing numbers in, in a lot of different industries. Um but but well, I suppose that, that, that that's, that's it on that. Well, it's a big improvement for you. That's fair enough. Yeah. So, what, I mean, so the best year that you had when you were on the top biller was just under two hundred grand. No, like since, since the the year following that again, you know, it was in excess of two hundred thousand. But um, yeah, nice. I, I think I brought a kind of a little bit of a chip on my shoulder um, because I leaving one company and and having you know done six months in America in a new market that kind of didn't really reflect you know what my capabilities were over a twelve period in a in a consistent market so when i was interviewing for the job maybe i embellished something slightly by you know five or ten k here or there in terms of what what i was capable of so i knew that going into that business i've got now a target on my head and i've put that target on my own head so this is this is the the level i said i can deliver at so now i need to deliver at that level and it's it was more knowing it's again I, I kind of look at it as a glass ceiling in terms of you know you, you you're totally capable everyone's i've seen lots of people really over exceed um on regular occasions because you know that it's it's limiting belief that will stop you from potentially going that next step further and going from that one deal to two deals to three deals a month mm. yeah that, that's that's really interesting and then so i guess talking about the the client side Spoke a lot around the candidate piece. Um, th this seems to be the area that typically recruiters will share. And it's a lot of the questions that I get on like where people want to improve. 
um, it's, it seems. So what's been your journey with bringing on clients and, and winning business? Like how have you improved in that department? Was there anything else that you sort of really opened up to? So I'm assuming in America you had to win business and stuff. Anything that you sort of improved on which you wasn't doing early on in your career that's had a real impact, do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's experience accounts for quite a lot. You know, you do this job day in, day out. And so naturally, you know, you, you refine things that maybe didn't work so well in the past and improve upon things and, and get more confident as well in terms of in terms of what you're doing first and foremost, but also the sell. Um, for BD, for me, I've always been quite um, quite phone-centric. So I, I've always been quite cold call-led, quite... Um, you know, just call, calling up, not necessarily when there's even any business there, you know, so not, not chasing leads. I just have a big list of people that I want to, want to speak to because I know that they're in my industry. Um, and it's, it's one of them. It's just understanding that there, you know, that there's, that you need multiple touch points, I suppose, you know, it's, mm. sometimes you can get on a call and brilliant, you win a job first time and you're like, you know, it's most of the time when that happens, I'm scrambling for a pen because I'm just not expecting it. You know, you have a call and introduce yourself and they're like, okay, I'm going to take a job spec now and you know, I'm ruffling around and, and I'm trying to get the LinkedIn up at the same time. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, for, for me, I've kind of, the way, I, the way I've, I've thrived is by having, um, I, I suppose, a, a fairly close knit group of clients that I know mm. are regular hirers. Um, and I have to, you know, I, have, I, have to, I still do and maintain, you know, a, a good level of BD consistently. Um, but I would normally gravitate towards, um, you know, a, a pool of, of, of clients that I've built good relationships with and that I kind of can, can grow on and expand on. Um, and that, I, that they can then trust me with delivery rather than it being, you know, because a lot of BD, I suppose, going into it is, I, I promise you I can do this. <laughs> you know, I swear yeah. to you, I'm, I'm going to give you the best candidates and, and X, Y, and Z and, and, and selling them the dream. But um, I think really um, where, where BD is, where, where I suppose I've had to, I've grown and, and seen the most benefit is, is from um, growing those client relationships over time, delivering on your word and being consistent with it as well. And yeah, as I no. say, not overstretching yourself. Sometimes you're fighting a losing battle, um, and you know it's 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 difficult because as a leader, I've been told you know to to be fairly cutthroat with 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 people and be and be saying, okay, well look, that's not yielding any results. Move on, move on. And um, sometimes you know it's, it's it's hard to take your own advice because, as I say, you know if you if you work and invest into something. You know, um, and you and you make that progress with it. It's hard to sometimes walk away from it and think and cut your losses and go. Actually, no, this isn't the right company or opportunity or the conditions aren't right. But um, again, it, I don't know if this is kind of going away from the point. But it's more the the better, the stronger relationship that you have with a client, a company, whatever. The more influence you have, it's very hard to jump into a recruitment process and start telling them how to do their job or how to change things that's going to necessarily benefit you or the candidate or what have you. But once you've, once you've worked consistently with people, they know your abilities and they know what you can do, they're much more receptive to, to, to take your influence and your guidance on things that you can change, extradite, um, you know, sometimes even remove entirely um, you know, to, to make the process more fluid. Yeah, no. Thank you. And I guess what we're talking about here, which which I'd, I'd, I'm going to ask you just to go a bit more deeper on, because I think this is what a lot of people will really benefit from. Because what you're talking about there is you like where you've really improved is 
sort of getting away from doing just spot business people call it or for a, a worse analogy just one night stands right with, yeah. with businesses you do that and then as you said you may guess you may leave that relationship with credibility because you delivered on your word but if you're not doing any other business with them then there's still lack of influence I don't know I don't know what sort of relationship that is maybe it's still a bit more transactional whereas what you're talking about is yeah actually working with maybe less clients and making sure that these clients know that you're the person that can support them with their growth you're building relationships and then as you said you can then sort of impact and influence the process which not only benefits them but benefits you and and obviously attracting people and taking people through that process i think this is something that i'm, I'm hearing a lot from recruiters where also again they, they feel like they they need to improve because i think it's very easy to get excited by that sort of by those terms getting signed and then it can be on to the next one right yeah. or i'm always looking so i guess what what i'm just keen to ask you is i guess yeah how have you got better one at sort of identifying businesses that you think could make for a great uh, relationship long term that you I'm assuming will get more confident in spending more time with them because you feel like in the long term there'll be more than just one hire two hires etc and then two um yeah just talk a bit about we always hear this word relationship but like how can recruiters listen to this actually build relate like long-term relationships with their their clients like how do we actually do that um but yeah, that's what I was keen to yeah. ask you. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, when it when it comes to kind of establishing, obviously, a kind of target audience and, and target list of clients. I mean, that that's kind of you know, recruitment one hundred and one is is knowing your audience. Um, you know, it's taking the time when you're building a market because naturally, uh, well, most people are coming into cold markets, swapping markets, markets have not been in the past. It's it's doing your due diligence, knowing who the players are, the big movers and shakers are, in, you know, in, in your industry, and always having that kind of list of of priority clients. You would love to crack into, um, you know. It's uh, my my old my old kind of my old boss used to always kind of really drill it into our heads that it was um, you know the, the six touch points. Um, you know, mm. with, with any client, you know, no, as as time goes on, you know, if you keep knocking on that door, you know, after six times, hopefully it's going to open for you. Um, whereas most people get disinterested for the third knock, you know, they'll, and, they'll, and they'll kind of, they'll abandon it. But it's the people that are consistently knocking and knocking and knocking that are, you know, that eventually, even if it's to tell you to bugger off, you know, they're still going to answer that yeah. door at some point. And just, uh, j just quickly on this, sorry to butt in. First thing, again, just I think you're doing a really great job of keeping this really practical. One, I know it may seem really basic and simple to you, but one, how like how do you keep track of like like I know we say market mapping it's simple, but like how do you do that out of interest? Like, is it are you set up with notifications and industry news and like I don't know, just just one on that, and then two, you hear these six points and seven points, twelve points or whatever, but like I think people sort of sometimes are unsure on like what to knock with. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, so just, that's what I just wanted to ask you. Sorry to butt in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've just you, you slipped my mind the first question you wanted to you just mention next. I was focused on the second question. So what was the first one again? The, the first one was just like, I know it may seem not really second nature to you, but you yeah. said keeping track of like oh, yeah. the top things. So like, how do you actually do that out of interest? Like what have been the... Again, hmm. you know, for, if, I, for, if I, I've had to do throughout my career start start lots of uh, lots of new markets. So uh, especially at the time at Oakwell, I and mean, when I was just prior to leaving, I was kind of hotbedding markets for new consultants to come into. So I'd kind of go in there, get them off the ground. And my first my first point of call would be um, CV stripping. You know, getting on LinkedIn, 
getting getting uh, just putting putting basic boolean searches in to find the skills that are attractive to my market audience and then going through those companies um you know one by one and, and meticulously adding them to a database or what have you what i found since then is you know the, and i suppose a couple of other tools there, there's a wealth of different tools and uh, available out there in the market that help to give you that edge and insight um things like talent ticker for example source breaker you know all these kind of things that hopefully if you're working in a, you know a, 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 you know a fairly sized or, or, or a decent organization you know you'll have access to one or two of them um you know looking at linkedin linkedin news feeds um you know making sure you've got alerts and watchdogs set up for hiring trends in your in your demographic um you know all those kind of things so the information it's not something that gets it's overnight it's something that you you know will build and build and build because, yeah as you know as you it's it's all really exciting. You come into a new market, okay? You type in .NET developers, and all of a sudden, you know, there's 500 vacancies that have just been posted. You're like, brilliant! At Kid in the Candy Shop, there's loads and loads of companies that I can go after now. Um, but you have to do that. You know, you're doing that search every day, every week. You know, for the rest of the time that you're in that market, and you'll slowly notice that you know that 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 list is no longer 500. There's only five or 10 fresh ones that are coming up every week. So but it's the ones, it's identifying the ones that are consistently there, the ones that are always hiring and such like that. And just making, making subtle notes of it. Um, when you talk about, obviously, the, you know, breaking down those six touch points. So, again, it's, it's phone conversation. I've always been predominantly phone-led. But it's so my first touch point would always be a phone call, um, you know, see if I can if I can firstly get through to them. If I do brilliant, then, you know, introducing myself, seeing how far that will get with, you know, I can get with that. Then it's backing that up with an email, uh, which is a service overview. You know, look, thank you for your time. Brilliant. Um, you know, I, I had a great time talking to you. This is this is who I am. This is what I do. And then it's just the following up again, because, you know, you might call them again three weeks later, a month later, two months later, whatever that may be, whatever you've agreed with them at the time. Um, and the door may still be closed. But again, it's following again up with an email um, after that call. And then just being regular in it and just repeat, you know, there's no exact science to it because there's so much luck sometimes that's involved in recruitment yeah, as well. Yeah, sure. you know, it, it can just be, it can be the right timing. But, you know, it, the more you put, the more opportunities, you, you know, the more you contact them and the more you're there, the more opportunities hopefully you're going to you know, create for yourself, um, if not today, but tomorrow. Um, and they yeah. will remember you because, you know, the first call I make to somebody, um, it's brief. They tell me that they're not interested. Brilliant. Okay. I, you know, and within within a week, I've been forgotten about 100%. But then I call back three weeks ago and I reference, you know, it's about taking, I suppose, even if it's a small, but taking a bit, it's one one piece of information as a minimum from each call and, and building on that each time. So it could be, you know, I, I just I say, okay, brilliant. Look, I know you, you're working with recruiters at the moment. Just out of curiosity, you know, what 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 do you normally work to recruitment at? With, with recruiters at, and they might say fifteen percent. I make a note of that at the next call. Oh, look, back, you know, last time we spoke, you mentioned that you're working with some recruiters at fifteen percent. You know, and it's just dropping that in, and it's giving yeah. giving context to the information that you've accumulated that then starts triggering. By the time you've called them for the fourth time, they're like, all right, Nathan, look, there's no more jobs. You know, I've told you before, um, but they remember you. You know, and it's just about yeah, yeah. getting them to remember you because then hopefully the fifth time when everyone else has given up, they go, actually, something's just come up. Um, yeah, yeah, we're meaning to reach out because you know there, there's an opportunity there. So again, it's it's making sure that you, I suppose, in summary, you 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 going into every call with the objective of taking something away from every call. 
Yeah, nice. And, 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 and that, that's what I was just looking for, yeah, for that. Because I think that's the sometimes what people are unsure of, isn't it? It's like, okay, well, I called this person last time and nothing really happened. So like, what do I call them about? What's the yeah. reason for my call? So I think, so thank you for sharing that. And then I guess the the other part then is the, and then, so let's say you did all of that. They yeah. give you that job. They deliver. It's a company that you've mapped out on and confident are on the right track. There's growth. What, what I don't know. How do you then think about sort of building on that relationship? You know, yeah. like, I don't know what are things we obviously we need to deliver. That's firstly, that's going to obviously really start building this relationship. But I don't know anything else that has really helped you in the past take a relationship where it's maybe a bit transactional to start to sort of solid. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to me, for, for, for me, where it is being as thorough as possible from that initial job order. Because given mm. the opportunity, when, sometimes when you get given the opportunity to take a job order, yeah, they, they're, they're giving you the opportunity, but they don't really want to give you the opportunity because they're not willing to sit down and spend the right amount of time <laughs> to tell you what they actually want. They go, you've got the job spec, don't you? 15% sounds all right, doesn't it? All right, look, do, what, what do you need to know? You know, But it's, I suppose, just kind of taking control early on of that of that job order and, and really trying to understand and get as much information about the business because essentially you, know, you are a brand ambassador for that company when you work on their behalf. You know, you're the one that's out there selling that, and and it, that that also helps as well when you when you're looking to head on people because the better you can sell an opportunity, you know, the more interested you're going to have people that are, that are essentially in that opportunity. So from day one, it's I, I suppose you know it's taking make, making sure you're setting up the meetings, you know, unless it's thrown upon you, but you're setting them up with an object, you know, a kind of a couple of objectives that you want to achieve on that call um, from, as part of the job order process digging deeper on not just necessarily what is now the, ne- you know, the the need right now, but what it looks like in the future. And it's then it's just cultivating, you know, brilliant. After you've done the placement, you know, lots of people will be like invoices sent now, pass the rebate, brilliant. But it's about keeping those touch points open, just checking in with you. How's, how's so-and-so settling in right now? You know, what's what impact have they had in the team? Keeping on the radar, brilliant. Oh, by the way, are you looking for anyone else in the future? Um, you know what's it, what's it, you know just trying to find out what what it, what's exciting is happening in the business um, because you know lo- lots of times they'll be really happy to tell you these things but people just don't ask the questions you know and people yeah. especially when people you know are passionate about the businesses that they're working in you know it's like oh actually you know it's funny you should ask that because something really exciting is happening um, just around the corner we're expecting to get this, all this new funding um, you know whatever that could be um, but it's just it's the the, the place is keeping consistent after the placement and and yeah. you know and just keeping those 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 channels of communication not so you become a hindrance because obviously you do a good job and then you send them an email every week with speculative candidates you know that they're not hiring for that can become a burden for them that can become an annoyance for them and and, and i've had it in the past you know where I, I, the, the doors have shut because they said look brilliant you gave us a brilliant candidate but you're pissing us off now because yeah. you, just you won't leave us alone you know what i mean and uh, we've told you so it's it's being pra- pragmatic and practical about it as well and and um, just listening for those key those key indicators and just asking the right questions i think um but yeah, yeah the, the more questions you ask, the more you're going to know. Yeah, no, awesome. So look, keen to talk to talk about um, your business journey so far yeah. in the last sort of 15 minutes or so. But I know we've kept this really practical, yeah. um, which I, I think is great and will really help people listen to this. The final thing that I'd really like to go sort of practical on is 
self-management, time management, prioritization, whatever you want to call it, is something that, again, speaking to so many recruiters, has really come apparent that a lot of recruiters can struggle with this. And I think what's really happened, obviously we were talking before this, that people have got really busy. Maybe not everyone, so if you're not, sorry. But a lot of people have said that they're, they've got really busy. So now it's like, oh, my God, like, what do I need to prioritize that's going to enable me to hit my goals and just getting better at that? And every time I speak to sort of top billers and high performers on this, they, they've really got this nailed down. Yeah. Um, and I think if I think early back when I started, and maybe you can agree or not, but that that's definitely something that typically don't always, I, I don't remember getting any support on it. I just had to learn the hard way and find out what other people did. Did they do email reminders and like, how did they structure their day and just, just learn as I went. So I guess a lot of people and a real common question I get is please, Hisham, can you ask top billers what their sort of daily schedule look like or what their structure look like when they're at the top of their game compared to when they're rally on and maybe sort of um, still um, yeah, earning their stripes and finding it difficult. So what, what does self-management look like for you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, you know, completely honest, sometimes it's organized chaos. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's, there's like a lot more of a, a, a rigid structure to it. I mean, for, for myself, um, kind, of, kind of looking looking back from maybe some of the kind of habitual changes that I, I've made um, throughout, throughout the time um, would be, uh, probably more around the organize, you know, just the, the basics of organization. So the calendaring things as well, setting tasks, setting reminders, because if I don't do that, I will forget. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very much a paper based guy. So I'll be scribbling down loads and loads of notes and then I'm ripping that piece of paper off and that's going over there. And then I'm <laughs> it's gone. You know what I mean? My wife's come into the room or, or someone's picked it up and, and throw it away. And then I've lost that vital information. So it's being, you know, it's being organized in terms of, you know, calendarization, putting things, putting things into schedules. Um, and also, really importantly for me as well was was making sure that I'm being you know putting as comprehensive notes as possible on write-ups in terms of everything that I've done from the candidates through to the clients uh you know conversations that I'm having with them just so um you know because it's very easy just to shorthand something and pop it on there and forget about something that may, might be important um but going back in in, in terms of kind of t- in terms of like the, the actual uh, how to organize my day I think historically I've tried everything, you know, I've, I've tried really, really strict day structures where from 9.30 to 10 o'clock I'm doing LinkedIn messaging and from 10 o'clock to 11 o'clock I'm doing this and I always fail really hard at it because naturally, you know, you've got the best intentions going into something, but, we, you know, it's in recruitment, things change at the drop of a hat, all of a sudden a job order comes through or, you know, you're on a, a candidate calls in or, or something, something, you know, something changes basically, which will deviate away from what you had intended and because of that kind of rigidness is sometimes in the in the goals i'd set myself for the, for the day i'd walk away from that day and think oh, you know i've i've really failed that day, a shit day yeah. Uh, yeah i didn't do kind of i didn't stick to my structure um so now i think when i when i when i look back to when i've been you know uh, the kind of my, my best peaks of performance so to speak generally it's um it's quite systematic in terms of knowing what I need to achieve for each each individual client um, and what I want to get out of a week um, out of a kind of a, from a BD strategy. So when I look at that, I look at daily goals and weekly goals. Okay. So so I would break things down like um, okay, so this I've got this job and uh, you know I've not got much coverage on it, so I need to 
find today, my target is to find two good CVs for that role that, that, that I want, or two good headhunts for that role that I, I want to get, I want to get shipped out. Um, and then my wider goal for the week would be, okay, I want two new two new jobs as well. So I want two new clients. So I'm working to get working on smaller goals and larger goals simultaneously. Because mm. if I say to myself, I'm going to get a job today, and I don't get that job today, I'm going to walk away from that day feeling really bad. But if I give myself that extra bit of breathing room and think on a weekly basis, okay, this is what I want to accomplish this week, um, then, you know, the peaks and troughs that you go through, hopefully, you know, you'll, you'll get as close to, if not hitting or overachieving those goals that you set out. Um, I think it's in particular with, with the candidate stuff, it's what, what I used to fall into the, the trap of was probably not giving, getting enough coverage on um on, on jobs so i would go out to market with loads of enthusiasm and i'd find them someone that i thought was really really good and then i'd send him off and i would think he's got the job and then that would be that um so yeah, now yeah. for me it's uh, and then it turns out that they not, they weren't as good as i thought they were um or for one reason or another it wasn't a good fit for them vice versa what whatever it may be but for now now i would kind of work to a structure of this is now my focus for this amount of time so I'm going to do this. Uh, I've set myself a target of the free CVs. I'm not going to look at another search until I've got the free CVs because then at least nice. I, can walk, I can walk away from that search with confidence that I've got yeah. three good people in the process and that will give me enough time. You know, uh, with them, hopefully that would be – we used to work on, on, a, on a rule of – a rule of three where this kind of i don't know who created the statistics i think i think my director i think my director literally made it up to make it sound better at the time but it was always um if you can get free interviews for a role you know you, you're like 90 percent higher chance of you filling it than if you just get one interview and obviously yeah, yeah. to kind of work towards that so again slightly long way of saying it but um just, just really quickly, because I think this is like, how do you, I think the important part that you meant there is like you anchor the time to it. Because I think yeah. what you can be quite susceptible to early on on just overall is like, like you said, my goal is two CVs, but it's like, okay, well, how long am I going to give myself to, to get that? And I think you can fall down the rabbit hole then of like, just doing one thing for like too long of a time. I don't know, do you like anchor yeah, a time? You mentioned I, I, there like. I, I would generally, you know, I, I generally kind of set my objective for that day. Um, so okay. and, and and again, so it's I normally plan you know the the day before for the day ahead. Um, so yeah. it's like the last fifteen minutes of my day. It's like reflection on what I've done and what have I achieved. Then it's a, a kind of a you know looking forward to like, what what do I want to do tomorrow. Um, but again, you know things are subject to change. You know sometimes you know things are outside your control. You know things that seem easy aren't easy, and you know you have to you know you sometimes you have to abandon ship because you know you, the, your time naturally, especially. When you're when you're a consultant working for somebody else, there's a hell of a lot of pressure. You know, there's a hell mm. of a lot of pressure to deliver because you know there was, there's always that saying in recruitment: you're only as good as your last month, and you're always looking over your shoulder slightly to think like, okay, you know, okay, last month maybe wasn't as good as I thought, but next this month's going to be very good. So it's just no. I suppose for me, it's just in terms of allotting the time, it's it's either till you think you've done a good enough job, or until you've exhausted it enough to know that that's probably as much as you can do. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, the, no, I think the key the key that you've said there is to make sure that you make space to like review. Yeah. Because instead of going, I'm not going to stop until I've got free interviews, like, okay, well, how long does that go on for? Like you've got a, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? Because sometimes I could just keep going and then all of a sudden my whole week is spent on this job and I've got 
two interviews rather than three, but I haven't reviewed and made time to prioritize anything else. Just to add to that, I mean, I do kind of pivot. So, you know, I won't, I'll set myself an objective for that day that this is going to be my focus client for the day. And I'm going to, I'm going to look to get coverage. But with that, naturally, by the way that we're interacting with candidates, whether it's via email, in mail, LinkedIn messages, connections, and stuff like that, that, you know, it's a, it's a bottleneck, really. There's a lot of, a lot of energy that goes in and what comes out doesn't necessarily come out straight away so even mm. you know you can sit there at the end of a day and you can think geez i didn't even manage to reg one person today you know and, and and kind of give yourself a hard time but the work that you've done will come and pay back you know and pay for itself in the days to come because you know that that bottleneck will start to to unjam and you get those candidates that you sent the message to a couple of days ago that you know maybe overlooked it or maybe it's just more appropriate time to then reply to then start coming back to you so yeah when i when i say that, that my objectives are to get the two CVs my objectives my objectives more are to work the hell out of that position and then probably the next day focus on to something else because right, as i, I say there's there's always a, a, a kind of lapse in time when you're dealing you know with, with people essentially you yeah know? yeah for uh, sure. things, things things don't happen at the click you know the click of uh, you know click of your fingers unfortunately yeah so look what what i'm um what i'm thinking um Nath, is that let's not let's not half bake the uh yep. the business journey Let, let's yep. get you back on when further than like we've spoken for a whole hour yeah. and real practical and obviously you're still recruiting right so like this is yeah, this yeah. is you this is how you approach things this isn't like employee now business owner like you're you're smashing it out on your own but i guess real quick like um what what has sort of happened so far or what have you experienced so far as a business owner that you least didn't expect maybe and we'll, we'll ask that question yeah back office mm. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's something you take for granted and you're thinking, well, it mustn't be that hard, you know, <laughs> to, to do these things. And it's just, um, yeah, there's, there's a hell of a lot of stuff kind of happens when you when you when you flick that switch. And there's so many things you have to be mindful of. And, it, you know, for me, it just in the in the three foot in the four months or so that I've been um, a business owner, um, it has been an absolute baptism of fire. Um, I've had to think on my feet a lot quicker than I have done in the past. I've had to learn very quickly um, and I've had to adjust, you know, um, the, the positives that come away from that is, you know, when your name's on the door, I suppose, the, the kind of passion enthusiasm you have really does um, kind of echo through to, to the people that you're engaging with because, you know, it's your baby, essentially. Um, mm. So, so yeah, it's... Um, Being back it, office, it, so what, when you say back office, what do you mean? Are we talking accounts? Are we talking, like, just... Yeah, I mean, it's all, you know, simple things. You, you go into a recruitment company, your first day, you've got your own mug sat there, you've got your laptop <laughs> set up, you've got your email account all done, all your logins are sorted, and, you know, that's all taken care of. I'm brilliant. I'm going to log in here. I'm going to get to work. But obviously, it's the it's the negotiating behind that. It's all the invoicing. <laughs> it's the, it's praying to God that people pay you on time. Um, because obviously, in recruitment, if you're working for somebody else, you know, regardless if they pay or not, you're getting your commission check the next month. Yeah, you month forget that, don't you? Yeah. yeah you Even if the invoice hasn't been paid yet. Yeah, exactly. Any good recruitment company is going to pay you regardless. So it's more <laughs> just kind of like you know sitting on your hands, being very patient and stuff, and and uh, yeah, just trying to trying to manage all the all the noise because as well, you know, I'm always on the selling end of of you know when I have worked for somebody else, and now I'm very much on the receiving end as well. Whereas a lot of people with a lot of services, a lot of improvements, and you know, a lot of chats, virtual coffees that people want to have to improve my business performance and, and X, Y, and Z. So yeah, it's uh, it's a bit of a minefield at times but it's been a good journey so far no nice as i said we'll we'll get you back on and we'll really dive into that um but look i've got some quick fire questions to finish this 
But before I do, you've um, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you always been a perm recruiter? Yeah, so predominantly throughout my career has been perm. I, I've dual desked on on various occasions. If someone gives me a contract, I'll bite your hand off, you know, <laughs> for it. But yeah. Um, but yeah, predominantly just perm. But my my, my kind of talent, my my strategy is permanent. Yeah. So before I go into these quick fire questions, the the question I wanted to ask you was, what what do you think is like the most important thing a perm recruiter needs to master, and and why? I would say candidate control. Mm. Yeah, because I look, I, you know, I think contract recruiters, you know, it's they are they are a special breed, especially very good contract recruiters. Everything is so fast paced and so fast moving. Um, but you know, so are the interviews. Sometimes as a con, you know, a contractor, they go in for a fifteen minute chat and they walk out with a job getting paid five six hundred pounds a day. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. you know, you could have someone on the permanent that only wants thirty grand and they'll have to go through five stages of interview process. You know, <laughs> because they're becoming a permanent member of that team. So it's being really really thorough um, with the candidate acquisition process so from how you how you engage with them to, to really asking as I say and not shying away from those tough questions um, you know the stuff that you don't want to hear and I suppose really really importantly as well um, is is constantly and I can't stress enough really going back over and being as thorough as possible with what else they've got going on because things change very quickly and you can ask them on the Monday what other interviews have you got have you got anything that you expect to turn into an offer and they say no everything's at the first stage as you speak to them on a Tuesday and have accepted an offer so it's 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 trying to open them up and and as I say be as personal as possible so that you know they're forthcoming with that information they don't feel that, that you know you're prying that for your advantage um, but the best way you can help people is, is by understanding them you know and understanding their needs as best possible because as I say they could have you know you could have a really really good opportunity for them but time is on your side so it's um, just trying to understand that as best as possible one, okay. one just random bit of advice as well and this is when I will kind of it's always stuck with me and it's not relating to anything you've just mentioned there um, okay. but it's I, I think I've, I think throughout my recruitment journey what I did a lot was look over my shoulder and look at other people in other desks that were doing really well and and always kind of think you know well, why is that oh they've got a really good market oh they've 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 fell on their feet they've just gone into a really high paying market that does really well and you know it's nothing it's you know it's not them that's doing well it's the marketplace and everything like that and as i've grown and as i've seen every market has the potential to be as good as you know the the, the one next to you it's just about how you approach that market and how you work that market and it's very easy to try and compare yourself to the person next to you but you're not the person next to you so i think it's really important that you know you're always just really focused on 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 your what what you're trying to achieve obviously take advice from your peers, you know, look to them for aspiration and um, advice as much as possible. Um, but yeah, don't be disheartened when you see someone land a 30K deal when your average AOV is six, seven grand because, you know, that's good <laughs> for the draw. But again, it swings and roundabouts. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the longer you're in the game and the, and the more consistent you are. And again, time in market is a massive, massive factor in that, you know, what from what you can accomplish in six months to six you know to 18 months of being in the same market it can be very much worlds apart because the longer you're doing it the longer the more consistent you are the better the results are going to be no i love that really appreciate you being honest well let's look let's um let's finish it there i think that's a great way to end it that's a great piece of advice which i think sometimes people can learn the hard way and find themselves comparing yeah i think we've heard it a lot particularly from top billers like really really focus on yourself healthy competition great but 
you're the only person that can improve. And if you really focus on that rather than other people, then you're going to be in a good spot. But Nathan, really appreciate that. Thank you so much for got really practical with us, shared some really practical tips and advice. And I'm uh, yeah, really excited to, to see how your business grows over, over the coming months and years. So thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. Like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.